Stay tuned now for the Racing for Heroes radio show with host Brett Morash on 1460 WVOX. All right, good morning, Racing for Heroes fans. It is Brett Morash. We are at 1460 on WVOX, uh, streaming worldwide, VOX.com. Uh, we have a couple of great guests today, and in the studio, helping me out is uh, Julia Morash, my daughter, uh, who has actually done some of the uh, kid programs at Racing for Heroes. So say hi, Julia. Hello. Yeah. Hi. Hi, Julia. Um, so our first guest is uh, uh, Mr. Don Holford, uh, who I was fortunate enough to work with, and I consider him my mentor. Uh, Don worked with me at Services the Underserved, uh, helping homeless veterans, and both of us have uh, subsequently moved on from SUS. Uh, and he is now the Chief Financial Officer at Serve Behavioral Service in New Jersey, uh, where he helps veterans, among other uh, groups, uh, with everything from homelessness to addiction. Uh, and he is a uh, veteran uh, of the U.S. Army, having served uh, in the reserve component, but he was actually activated for the uh, U.S. Postal Service strike uh, of 1970, uh, which was a little before I was born, but not much. Um, anyway, so, Don, are you on the uh, uh, line? Yeah, I'm here, Fred. Uh, oh, you can hear me. Uh, I hear you, Lima Charlie. So uh, thank you for being on the show today, Don. Well, thanks for having me. And Don, uh, oh, go ahead, Don. I, I just want to say uh, I uh, do not consider, even though I spent time in the reserves and my uh, time during Operation Graphic Hand, which we'll talk a little bit about, was sure. uh, uh, active duty for training. I do not consider myself in the same status as those uh, vets who served and, uh, you know, uh, honored the call when they were called, either, either through the draft or who enlisted. Uh, and uh, for those who are listening, I just want to say I thank you for your service because I, having lived through those times and, um, you know, other times and stories my father told about World War II, yeah. uh, you know, you guys, uh, I, I do not consider myself to be in the same category. So thank you for your service. And and, and thank you, Don. Um, listen, I, again, I, I, I think that one of the things that, I always think about when I think about reservists, uh, especially when you're going through something like Penn Station or Grand Central Terminal, is you see folks that are activated um, that are not really considered veterans, but they're still an important piece of that, uh, and that capability really helped out in 1970. So let's let's just jump right into that, Don. So uh, young kid, Don Holford, uh, Jersey kid, uh, ends up in uh, at Fort Dix. Uh, go. Well, uh, actually, I was a Brooklyn kid. Brooklyn then. kid. It's- probably pick up from my dialogue. <laughs> uh, I still, uh, you know, while I live in Jersey, my roots uh, are in Brooklyn, and that's, uh, you know, I, I can speak uh, Brooklynese, uh, you know, uh, I'm still fluent. Um, so uh, <laughs> really just a, a, kind of the, the backdrop on it was in uh, December of 1969, uh, there was the first lottery for the, dra- uh, for the draft. It was a way of giving uh, young people some control over their lives. I had uh, unlike most of my friends from my neighborhood who went to high school and then pretty much got blue-collar jobs, I was uh, fortunate to be able to go to college. So yeah. uh, in between the time that they turned 18 and they were 19, 19 a few months, I had an older brother, their lives were in limbo. And uh, for guys who were in uh, uh, college, the the draft was something that was always hanging over their head. For sure. Uh, if, you, if you wanted to take time off to 
you know, go figure out what you really wanted to be when you grew up. You couldn't do it. Right. Uh, so the first lottery was an attempt to give you some uh, uh, control. Uh, they, I remember being in a bar where uh, it was packed, and they were picking numbers from uh, a, a big drum. And uh, any numbers that were over 160, 170 were pretty safe that if you opted to be in the lottery, you wouldn't get called, and then mm-hmm. you were uh, home scot-free. Um, yeah. And I, as I remember anybody who had a number over 200, they were usually buying drinks for the rest of the night. <laughs> sure, so, sure. Uh, unfortunately, in my case, I was number 125, so I really didn't have any more certainty than I had before. Yep. A friend of mine who was an older guy I played ball with was in a reserve unit. He was getting ready to get out. It was the 518th Maintenance Battalion. Uh, it was in uh, Queens, uh, located adjacent to uh, St. John's College. Mm-hmm. And he told me that they were going to be opening up, uh, it, you know, enrollments, but I, I needed to get down quickly. So sure. knowing my situation, um, in February, I went down, I waited on a line, I was able to get in. And I got sworn in on March 23rd of 1970. So uh, about 5.30 in the morning on March 24th, I got a phone call. And it said, uh, is this Private Donald W. Hope? Wait, wait a second. That's one day after you got uh, signed on the dotted line. One day after I got sworn in. <laughs> and I, I thought for sure it was one of my friends, you know, uh, you know, messing around. And I said, come on, you don't even have my telephone number. You know, cut the crap. And he said, right. Holford, if you're not down at uh, the uh, 518th Maintenance Battalion uh, Company by 0800 hours, uh you, your, your, uh, you know, uh, private parts will be in Vietnam in six months. <laughs> so, with that, I got up. I now, now, Don, let me stop you for a second. Did he say it more colorfully than that, or was that? Uh, he did, yes. Uh, but you know, <laughs> knowing that your young daughter is in the, <laughs> the <laughs> and we're on the air, so this is like over the the airways. FCC would be very angry with me. <laughs> my my butte was another word for buttocks. Okay, so. <laughs> Gotcha. So, so uh, I I put on uh, you know clothing. It was a uh, you know still a little nippy. I I go down and lo and behold, um, uh, you know there are a bunch of guys who are in uniform who are, uh, you know also getting out of their cars half asleep as I was, um, and uh, the, the company you know had been activated. <laughs> so here, here we are. My you know my first day. I'm in civilian clothes with uh, I don't know probably another dozen guys who. I remember uh, enlisting with, and we're in formation. We're trying to not stand out, but you know, how do you do that when everybody else has got a uniform on? <laughs> right. And and I hear you know the announcement, yada yada yada, and then you know there was an announcement uh, that uh, if people missed more than two weekend drills in a year, um, they would be activated for Vietnam, and they read off the names of three guys Ooh. for whom that. Is. And uh, as as it turned out, I spent five years in the reserve. Yeah. And for every drill that I I was at for those five years, uh, those are the only three names I ever heard. <laughs> Thank- Thankfully. Getting at- and so here we are. So because I um, I knew how to type, and uh, my friend had worked in payroll, um, uh, I got in, and I remember uh, when uh, we got sworn in, there was a. Sergeant Major, a guy named Carmine DeSogra, never forget, a real earthy guy, uh, a real decent guy. And I remember when he saw me and he was asking people their numbers, 
uh, lottery numbers because that's why sure. people were showing up. And I told him 125, and he said to me, oh, you're the top dog on the on the second list. Oh, wow. <laughs> and that was... Um, so anyway, so, uh, you know, I spent the first couple of days, you know, typing in payroll. Uh, and then I was kind of a, an observer, as I saw for the first day. There were, you know, officers who pretty much, you know, the reserves then were not like the reserves now. It was, uh, there was a draft. Uh, there was no shortage of men for Vietnam. Um, the draft was there, but it didn't play the same role that the, um, the, the reserves were there. But it didn't play the same role that the reserves do now. Sure. Uh, because they're enlisted army. So um, we, um, I'm watching officers and non-commissioned officers really kind of running around like chickens without their heads. And all they kept saying was, we've been federalized. We've been federalized. So, um, <laughs> and what was the name of this operation, Don? This is the operation, as uh, you know, all military operations uh, uh, are named. This was Operation Graphic Hand. And uh, and Don, I, I don't I don't want to slow you down, but we are getting a little close on time. I I did want Julia had a question for you about about the uh, Operation Graphic Hand. So Julie, what's your question? Um, so why were they? What was wrong with the wages that they were protesting to get fixed? The uh, apparently the postal workers uh, had some issues with uh, wages, and under uh, I believe it was the. Taft-Hartley Act. I, I wasn't sure, mm -hmm. but as, as government employees, they were prohibited. Uh, the Postal Service then was a, a fully uh, government uh, entity. They were prohibited from striking. And uh, if this was not the first time that um, uh, there had been, been a strike by unions working for government. I, I remember being in high school when the transit uh, strike uh, first happened mm -hmm. in 1966. Uh, so this was one of those situations where they were uh, going to, you know, push the envelope. And sure. um, because at that time, and it was pre-Internet, uh, everything uh, that went in the mail could have um, uh, implications for national security. Yep. Uh, um, it became, a, a, you know, a, a concern for national security that the mail still had to be delivered. So gotcha. uh, that's kind of the way it it happened. And so, Don, um, kind of follow-on question. I, I uh, and of course, as you know, Racing for Heroes is all about automotives and motorsports. I heard uh, things didn't go so well with the Army trucks that you had. Well, uh, the first day we really spent, uh, you know, kind of trying to get things uh, together. That was the 24th. So the, by the, the end of the 24th, the 25th, uh, the, the assignments had been worked out. And our trucks were supposed to go to the uh, Folly Station in uh, right near Penn Station in Manhattan. Oh, sure. So, uh, it being a maintenance uh, company, they were going to have um, uh, what they called deuce and a half. The large trucks were going to go, and then they were supposed to go to the Folly Station, and then they were going to get assignments on where to deliver mail. So uh, I guess it was around, I don't know, 9 o'clock in the morning after we had formation and everything, uh, trucks were going out. And then, because I worked in payroll, I was in the area not too far from um, the Sergeant Major was there. We had a 201 section where they kept uh, records and record-keeping, and it was kind of in the uh, communications hub. Gotcha. And then I remember uh, the uh, company commander getting a phone call, and it was, you know, along the lines of, what happened? 
you know, where did it happen? <laughs> no. Uh, and apparently, uh, the trucks broke down on the Williamsburg Bridge. <laughs> That's so, amazing. Uh, so now we had uh, two tow trucks on the, in the unit, uh, and uh, then they dispatched the two tow trucks. And the two tow trucks uh, go out. Now it must have been about, I don't know, 12 o'clock. And then the two tow, tow trucks go out. And then I guess it was another couple of hours later, uh, the company commander gets a call and he said, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> oh, uh, and then he uh, mentioned to Sergeant Major uh, DeSogra, who he was there, mm-hmm. he, uh, he, he said, um, Top, you're not going to believe this, he said, but the tow trucks just broke down. So uh, uh, DeSogra had been around a long time and he said, well, well, sir, he said, um, you know, w- w- we're going to have to go to another backup plant. And then the captain, I remember going to uh, the Sergeant Major saying, uh, Sergeant Major, what might that be? And then yeah. um, uh, the, the Sergeant Major said, I think, uh, sir, that would be something we need to talk about privately. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> so they leave. They go into the office of the uh, the uh, battalion commander, sure. uh, a guy named Lee Mazza, who was uh, an executive with the telephone company. He was a, a lieutenant colonel. Oh, okay. And and then the next thing I know, they come back and they said, okay, we're, we're activating Plan C. Oh, and, so they even went past Plan um, B. That's not good. <laughs> yeah, no. So basically, and now there was buzz in the, in the office about what's, you know, what's Plan C. You know, the trucks are gone. The, the, uh, the tow trucks are uh, broken. Right. The tow trucks are gone. What's Plan C? Well, uh, it was almost top secret. Until later on, somebody uh, was outside and they came back in, and uh, they came in and they, they sat down and said, "You won't effing believe uh, what uh, what Plan C is." And so here we are. He says, "If you get a chance to go outside, yeah." And if, if, I only you know wish that we had cell phones, we could have taken pictures. So there we are. <laughs> we have triple A, triple and then bringing back our trucks. So AAA saved the day. Is is, is the AAA saved the day, and it it was not um, the uh, one of the brightest moments of Operation. Oh, no, it was not. It was not. But listen, I I think that's all important stuff, and it does show you that our equipment is built by the lowest bidder, uh, especially the gear that's in the reserve component. So, and Don, I'm so sorry we're out of time. I, I have our next guest oh. on the phone, so I just want to thank you again for all you've done. Well, listen, thank you. Thank you all. And again, thanks to all the vets. Uh, and uh, one of the things we do give thanks for is your service. So uh, God bless you all, Brett. Uh, we'll keep in touch and uh, wish everybody a safe uh, holiday. Thank you so much and, and take care, Don. Um, so with that, uh, our next guest is uh, Dan Miller, uh, who actually uh, is uh, not only still on active duty in the uh, Army as a sergeant first class, uh, but is an entrepreneur uh, and has started his own brewery uh, just outside of Fayetteville, uh, North Carolina, um, where Fort Bragg is located. Um, but he has done just amazing things in his career, uh, and he is currently, uh, uh, in his active duty role, the Airborne Program Manager uh, at the 4th PSYOPs Group. So, uh, Danny, on the line? Yep, I'm here. How's it going? I, I'm doing great. How are you doing? Good, I'm good. Recovering from uh, the feast last night. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, for sure. How did uh, how did that go? Are, are you okay? You're, you're still awake and, you know, up before 6 o'clock, all that sort of stuff? 
Yeah, I, sl- I slept in. <laughs> good man. But um, yeah, no, it went well. I uh, had a good friend come from uh, Virginia. Small group, you know, we're trying to stay socially distanced so we can only fit a certain number of people in our dining room. Oh, Roger. Three yeah. of us. My wife, me, my wife, and my buddy, uh, Brendan. Gotcha. I, I don't know if that would go here in New York, but uh, I'm hopeful that in North Carolina that was well within the COVID uh, guidelines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially since you're on active duty, I, I know I know they they take that seriously. Um, so, uh, one of the things I want to talk to you ab- about is uh, first, you know, what do you do? I, you know, I, I think people hear psychological operations and they think of 1960s, like with LSD or something like that, with the army. But that's that's not really what psyops does, right? Tell us a little bit about what psyops. No, it totally is. Um, just watch the movie Men Who Stare at Goats, and all that's true. <laughs> Well, it was, but not so much now, though, right? Right. (laughs) Um, I mean, the instructor answer would be (laughs) that uh, the psychological operations mission is to influence a behavior change in a foreign target audience uh, in support of U.S. national objectives. So what does that mean? Uh, Basically, it's a military strategy or tactic to try to influence Changes in behavior with mm-hmm. not necessarily an enemy, but in, sure. with any kind of foreign um, target audience. Target audience, yeah. right, right. In order to prevent bloodshed, uh, that's one way to kind of describe well, it. Well, so I was a Navy guy, as you know. I remember passing out leaflets uh, to the ships that we were boarding, uh, looking for uh, illicit material and, and kind of pre-Iraq invasion. Um, would that that would be something that psyops would put together, right? Yes, um, I think leaflets that were always intertwined with PSYOP history, that mm-hmm. and uh, loudspeakers, loudspeaker operations. Um, I, when I was teaching in the Special Warfare Center in school, so after graduating, I got some practical experience, and mm-hmm. then, like everybody else in special operations, you inevitably go back to be an instructor. Um, right. But I would try to steer the students away from focusing on leaflets and loudspeakers. Hmm. There is more about what we do. Uh, not all of it we can necessarily discuss on the radio. Of course, but yeah. Those are the more overt things. I also try to de-emphasize all of the uh, leaflet kind of stuff because realistically, you're kind of just dropping a bunch of litter on top of someone's country. Although <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the reality of that is, modern day times, a lot of the leaflets are printed on like a quickly biodegradable rice paper. No so kidding. It, it kind of just melts after the first one or two rains. See that? Who knew Who knew that the U.S. Army would be making green leaflets that would rot to make sure that it's green? Like, see, isn't that, that is forward-leaning. I'm sure we're the only country that does it like that. Uh, maybe the Swiss. Maybe the Swiss don't. <laughs> yeah, we care. <laughs> we care. Um, so, and, and one of the things I, when we talked about your job now, uh, you told me about these helmets. I, I guess, you know, being a Navy guy, you think of the army as everyone has the same helmet. I went through Fort Jackson. They actually, my head's so big they had to give me a special helmet. But um, which that's another story for another time. But I, I heard that there's more than one type of jump helmet available. And right. you're the expert um, of the world on if you're giving which ones. me the soapbox to stand on. Uh, I heard you talking to Don about limited time. I think we're going to run out of time talking about helmets. But long story short, uh, with you know the modern advances in technology, all the different companies out there that produce armor and everything else, or even sporting good producers, yeah. come up with their own military helmets and try to market them. And the issue we're running into 
is the individual soldier going out buying a specialized helmet mm-hmm. and then the problem is although they're good helmets or they may be ballistic rated until the helmets are actually tested by the airborne and special operation test board you can't uh. jump them oh wow but, okay. but they could be very they could be you know perfect helmets they just right. have to get tested first before they're authorized so running into an issue kind of um, codifying all the different helmets out there. I, there's easily 50-plus new helmets that come out. Well, I just looked on Amazon today, and there's like 100. And uh, and uh, I thought the $20 one probably wouldn't be very good, but, like, I don't know. So I think no, it's... we go out there and see helmets and Google, because, you know, of course I'm not going to be familiar with every helmet that sure. comes out on the planet. And a lot of them are airsoft helmets. So we have people showing up. So we're constantly, as jump masters, oh, sure. looking at who's showing up to these jumps and then making sure that people don't jump with uh, airsoft equipment. Gotcha. Hey, so let's let's shift gears here. Um, so tell us about uh, Heckler Brewery. Uh, great name. Uh, and uh, right outside of the um, uh, right si- outside of the basin. Julia had a quick question. How are you guys doing with COVID conditions? Well, we'll ask that last. Okay. Oh, okay. Fine. Yeah, but she was going to ask what type of beer do you brew too, so just add that in there. So, so I, I miss it. Um, yeah. Kind of broke up oh, so time. sorry. Uh, so in Fayetteville, you, you opened your own brewery, Heckler Brewery. Tell us about Heckler Brewery. Oh, yeah. So um, it's a startup microbrewery mm-hmm. in uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina. So we're right next to Fort Bragg. Um, my thing is to open a craft brewery that produces very drinkable beer. You go nice. out and you see a lot of other people's craft breweries. And you look down the list, you might, you might just want something easy to drink. And you look down their menu, and the, the lowest alcohol percentage is five and a half, six and a half, something yeah. percent, with eight trillion IBUs worth of bitterness and hops. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Minecraft Brewery is going to have its its line of unconventional and, and very crafty beers, sure. but it'll have five or six core flagship beers that are really marketed towards the macro beer consumers. So all of you out there listening in that like Budweiser and Heineken, Miller, Coors products, different stuff. Sure. We're trying to build a craft brewery to cater to you. So you can get into craft beer. Nice. Um, without running the risk of having too much alcohol or too many hop flavors and, and um, being overwhelmed by what really I would say is only created for a niche market. You know, we're trying to become a craft brewery that produces a macro brew style beer. A, a type of beer people want to drink. That's amazing. That's great. Um, and what I, I think you mentioned was going to be a red ale was the first one you're talking about? Yep. Not my favorite kind of beer, so obviously I put a lot of effort into it. Um, so right now we have a, a, an Irish red ale, although I think I might drop the Irish part. Not that I have anything. I'm actually half Irish, and my <laughs> wife is probably whole Irish. Gotcha. Um, yeah, just to make it a little bit more international, we just call it a red ale. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. No, but, it's great. Uh, I'm, I'm looking. Yeah, it's it's 4.2 percent alcohol. Uh, oh, that's, low that's nice. bitterness, like fits well within the standard of an, an Irish red ale. Well, well I'm looking forward it to it. Unbelievably crafty. So well, any any Bud Light drinker would would enjoy. It. In fact, we're getting a lot of Bud Light converts um, who are nice. starting to try this red ale. Well, I, I'm looking forward to it. So when when I have a chance to get down there, you know, when COVID allows. So so that's awesome. Hey, uh, so we don't have a whole lot of time yet, so I do want to talk about uh, racing. So um, I know you won a, a race uh, in Race Fierce Colors or something along those lines about two years ago. Uh, tell us about racing. 
Yeah, so uh, a buddy of mine in the Army got me into racing, guy Adam Benoit, who's, you know him, he's another yeah. um, Race for Heroes contributor. Mm-hmm. So he got me into racing, started me out with autocross, which sounds underwhelming over the phone when you say it's driving sure. around cones in a big parking lot, but it's actually very technical, and I highly recommend starting with racing, huh. uh, uh, starting with autocross racing, because it's all about car control and precision driving. It's very unforgiving, um, although it is very safe. From there, though, I continue to move up. Um, not necessarily move up, but I continue to expand in my racing repertoire. I ended up going to the Skip Barber Racing School when, uh, unfortunately, they closed recently, actually. Oh, it's uh, gone? Like, no more? They, uh, someone else bought the name Uh-oh. and brought it back, but the original one that I went through it had a... Uh, kind of reformed. Oh, but I did a, uh, a Formula Mazda course uh, to get my full racing license. And I was down in road Atlanta. Mm-hmm. But um, with all of that, both Adam and I had kind of heard about Racing for Heroes back in 2016 or sure. so when they had started. Began volunteering with them as, as drivers and also instructors during a lot of the outreach events and, and track day events that they would put on at the Virginia International Raceway. Yep. But, um, yeah, the, that photo I sent you earlier, that was, I think, our first victory, our first first place win in our uh, it was a, it was a fourth generation Camaro with the nice. IROC body style Camaros. That's, that's sweet. So we ended up uh, over the course of two or three seasons in Champ Car, it's just endurance racing series. Right. They have, uh, we, we were second place and then first in class. And I want to say um, second or third overall, and mm-hmm. then a first in class and first overall. I think is our most. That, that's one. amazing. And are you going to be uh, up at our uh, the charity laps on Saturday the fifth? Yeah, I'm. I'm really planning on it. the The only reason why I wouldn't be able to make it up there is if I have to do any kind of final preparations for the brewery opening. Of course, but oh, I think yeah. at the rate we're going, I should be able to make it up there. That's great. And uh, listen, we're we're running short on time. Um, so if you could just put it out there for everyone, what, what's the website uh, so people can log in and see what you have to have to sell and when you're opening up? Oh, I got a plug. Very nice. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> um, so the website is hecklerbeer.com. Uh, Instagram and Facebook is heckler or at hecklerbrewing. We're hopefully going to open up uh, this year. I'm shooting for December, mid-December to late December as a grand opening just to say, hey, I opened in 2020. Because legally, we incorporated in January. Awesome. Through covid and everything else, it took forever. Uh, but otherwise, we should be in full production in uh, January. Um, on Online, we'll have various apparel that you can purchase. Yep. Uh, if you want to support us, we have our COVID-19 uh, Doesn't Stop a Heckler t-shirts. Uh, and we'll put growlers and awesome. well, merchandise. And, and, uh, and that's our theme song. I'm so sorry, Dan. i got to cut you short. But listen, uh, that theme song does mean it is the end of the show. So, Dan, thank you for everything you do. And, and please, uh, thank you for keeping us safe. Yeah, and thank you so much for this opportunity. Yep, and uh, and, and you too, so thanks for being on. So thanks, everyone. <laughs>